raised a boy from the dead, called down fire from heaven, lived through an earthquake on top of Mount Sinai, and rode into heaven on a flaming chariot. But not unlike us, he also experienced depression and loneliness. Today, we'll remember both the triumphs and the struggles of the prophet Elijah and be reminded of the goodness, faithfulness, and power of God. Welcome to the Shalom Y'all Ministries Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adam Keim, along with my good friend, Dr. Daniel McCabe. Daniel, how are you doing these days? Well, I'm doing well. I don't have anything really uh, unusual to complain about, and even if I didn't, I should always remember all the blessings, right? But no, we're doing great. The McCabe family is doing wonderful. <laughs> good to hear. Well, we here at Shalom Y'all assure you that a walk through the land deepens your walk with the Lord, and our mission is to teach and encourage those who love the Bible, the land of the Bible, and the people of the land. Our next scheduled trip is for November 6th to the 17th this year, 2023. And you, dear listener, have an opportunity to travel with us to the promised land. Reach out for more information on this upcoming trip or a way that you can be in Israel with Shalom Y'all someday. Now, as always, we begin with a couple of mini topics before getting to our main subject of the prophet Elijah. Daniel, what do you have to lead off for us today? Well, let me tell you about one of my summer trips, or at least one of the things that happened on my summer trips. After completing my pre-flight interview with the LL agent at JFK Airport this past June, I received my boarding pass for our flight to Tel Aviv, and then I heard to catch up with the group that had gotten ahead of me. As I Past a display table near the line for security, a tall young man in the recognizable black garb of the ultra-Orthodox, he addressed me in Hebrew and handed me a card. On the card was the kind face of an elderly man in similar dress and a white beard. I took the card with a polite smile and kept walking. And when I flipped the card over in my hand, I saw... A traveler's prayer written on the back of the card in English above two lines of Hebrew. Turns out that the man with the kind face is Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, whom the card described as I translated the Hebrew. It read this. It said, quote, Our Lord, our mentor, our rabbi, king, the Messiah. Hmm. End quote. Well, a little research tells me that Schneerson passed away in 1994, but many of his followers in what's known as the Chabad movement, they believe that one day he will be resurrected and received worldwide as the Messiah. Others have suggested that he hasn't actually died yet and that he'll be revealed at some future time. But when I read a bit more about him, I learned that he was born in the seaport town of Nikolaev in the Russian Empire, what we know today as Mykolaiv, Ukraine. And that's a long way from Bethlehem. A little ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean no disrespect to the rabbi and his followers, 
However, Micah 5.2 reads, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. The verse says that this one from Bethlehem will be a great ruler in Israel, verse 2 it says, and to the ends of the earth, verse 4. Well, verse 2 clarifies that he will, quote, come forth to me, end quote, meaning he'll serve the will of the Lord, which Micah described earlier in chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 10, as the redemption and deliverance of Israel from her enemies, which is clearly the work of the Messiah. Micah 5, 2 leads then to only one conclusion, a conclusion shared by the chief priests and scribes of even first century Jerusalem, as you can read in Matthew 2, 4, and 5, that Bethlehem is the birthplace of the Messiah. Like Rabbi Schneerson, there have been others wrongfully heralded as the Messiah, such as Bar Kokhba during the Roman period and Shabbatai Zevi during the Ottoman period, but check their birth certificates. Because if they don't read Bethlehem, then keep searching. But you really don't need to look very far. Only one Bethlehemite has ever made the remarkable claim before Abraham was, I am, John 8, 58. Only Jesus can rightfully claim that his goings forth have been from old, from everlasting, as we read in Micah 5, 2. He is Emmanuel, God with us, the God-man, born in Bethlehem. Only he fits Micah's description of the Messiah. In our previous podcast episode, episode 20, we talked all about prophecies regarding the Messiah. So you can listen to that to learn even more about how Jesus is the only candidate. Now, Daniel, since I have a great love for the Old Testament, as you know, so do you, and that's what I specialized in my theological education, people would often ask me what my favorite Old Testament books are. Daniel, do you have any favorite Old Testament books? Well, I do, and you're right that I love Old Testament much like you do. I, I, I love to tinker in the Hebrew of the Old Testament. I read it constantly. I'm about to launch here on September 18th, an online noon hour Bible study from Micah. It's just going to be fun for me to do that. But yeah, I, I love in particular, I, I guess my favorite Old Testament book is probably First Samuel. I like Genesis yeah, as well, but First Samuel is probably number one. But I, I'll say what I think I've heard you say before, that my favorite book of the Bible tends to be the one that I'm reading at the time. But I'll go with First Samuel. All right. Well, that, that's a good one. I love First Samuel as well, of course. Well, when I would be asked what my favorite Old Testament books are, my response to that is a half joke. I would usually say, well, four of my favorite Old Testament books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> now, you can imagine some of the funny looks I would get sometimes. Yeah. Like I said, it was only a half joke. 
Now, I know that the Gospels were written in the church era, and they are formally part of the New Testament scriptures. But the time period that the Gospels account for, the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus, took place in the context of the Old Testament. That is, the law of Moses still applied to the life of a God-worshipper. Now, the reason why this is important to remember is that many statements that Jesus uttered make more sense when we understand the context in which they were made. Now, just for example, one of many in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus confronted the Pharisees on tithing according to the strict letter of the law, but neglecting the weightier matters, the very spirit of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And Jesus was commenting on their failure of religious observance of the then current historical context of Mosaic legal matters. Since Jesus ministered in the nation of Israel, while they were obligated to keep the law, something that he would fulfill with his whole life, death, and resurrection, the Gospels take place in the Old Testament era as we think of the dispensations of history. So that's why I would kind of like to think of the Gospels as four of my favorite Old Testament books. Daniel, what is this week's trivia question? Adam, you know, I'm finding over the years that I don't use coins or paper currency as much as I used to. How about you? Yeah, uh, swipe the card. Yeah, I know. <laughs> or Apple Pay or something, pay with yeah, your phone. Or, exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of options these days. I know that as long as I feel like I have my credit card in my wallet, I don't worry too much about whether I have any cash because I'm usually good wherever I, I go with the credit card. But even so, you know, you'd think we'd all know whose picture is on each one of our bills, you know, our paper currency. But I honestly, honestly had to check to be completely sure while I was working on this trivia question. So, for example, do you know, do you know whose picture is on our one, five, ten and twenty dollar bills? One would be George Washington. Yes. Five is Lincoln. Yes. And is. Uh, yeah, see, this is the one I always get tripped up. Well, on because, 10. OK. I, I, Hamilton. Yes. Yes. And 20 is Jackson. Right. And 100 is Franklin. Well, I didn't even ask about 100. I don't think I. Yeah, I think I probably would have known that. But I always get tripped up on the $10 bill. You know, it's it's just hard enough to remember things about our own money. But I want to ask you a trivia question about Israeli money, their paper currency. Okay. All right. So here's today's question. I think it's pretty tough, but here it is. So which one, or let me put it this way, which of the following statements are true about Israeli paper currency? Adam, I know you've been to Israel several times. So you think maybe you can ace this one? You've used Israeli currency plenty, yeah, right? Yeah, I use the shekelim a lot. And it, that's one place where I like to use cash. It's just fun yeah. to use cash, you know? So it when is. I'm in Israel, I'll pull out cash. And it's funny, earlier you mentioned, you know, nowadays in America, like if you pay with cash, you get weird looks. Like it's almost kind of odd, you know? That right, right, cash. right. But yeah. Oh, and the 50 is grant, right? I think I skipped that. The 50 is grant in the U.S. Okay, but, good for you. All okay, right. so well. I'll I'll try to... You, I'll, I'll try to go back in the corridors of time in my memory to see if I can visualize the paper okay. shekels. Well, let me run these these statements by you and our listeners. I, like I said, I think they're pretty tough. But what I'm I'm going to do, I'm going to call you and our listeners a winner if everyone can get at least three out of four of these statements correct. So here they are. I'll run through them. 
number one, uh, obviously don't answer them now. We'll, we'll return to them later here in the podcast. But number one, true or false, Israeli paper currency doesn't have any green bills like ours, but only blue, orange, and red bills. Okay. Israeli paper currency doesn't have any green bills like ours, but only blue, orange, and red bills. Number two, their bills feature great Israeli poets not statesmen like our currency. So their bills feature poets, not statesmen like ours. Is that true or false? Third, the women that appear on their bills wear head coverings out of sensitivity for Israel's Muslim and Orthodox citizens. So again, do the women that appear on their bills wear head coverings? And fourth, true or false, each bill has English Hebrew and Arabic writing on it. So think those over. Do you get them all? You got them? I'll be thinking about them. Okay, we'll think them over and we'll have the answers for you later in the podcast. Well, today I want to look at 1 Kings 18. It's one of my favorite Old Testament stories, and I've been reading a lot lately some Bible stories to my young son, Luke, that are about the life of Elijah. So this is all really fresh on our mind here at the McCabe home. So God is so good. He's so faithful, but sometimes we forget that. And I think we do grow stale, but this chapter will remind us once again of the power of God, and hopefully it will stir our hearts with his greatness. At least that's what I'm after here in my own life and hopefully to challengers as well. So King Ahab and his well-known wife Jezebel, they hated Elijah, and even more so now after three years of drought had gripped the land of Israel at Elijah's command. So we find him in 1 Kings 18, verse 17, dripping with venom when Ahab calls Elijah the, quote, troubler of Israel even though it was Ahab's wickedness that precipitated all this quote-unquote trouble upon the land. In response, Elijah challenges Ahab and his prophets of Baal to face off atop Mount Carmel, promising that the Lord will send fire down from heaven to prove whose worship is really true. You probably know the story. Ahab's prophets spend the better part of the day calling upon Baal, but get no response from him. Then Elijah builds an altar to the Lord who consumed Elijah's offering in an unmistakable, fiery display of the Lord's power. So what can we learn from this passage? And I want to attempt an answer that I'm calling 10 lessons learned from a troublemaker. So I'll run through these, starting with lesson number one. Standing for what is right may be perceived as stirring up trouble. So, for example, in verse 17, we read, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? The wicked Ahab believed that Elijah's consistent stand for God was 
troublesome. It's a very strange thing, and yet it's quite common. But living for the Lord these days will often make you look like the bad guy. Lesson number two, real troublemakers are those who oppose God. Verse 18 reads, And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. So Elijah was not God's enemy. He was God's friend. If you are living for God, you too are his friend. In John 15, 14, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So you are God's friend, even if the whole world turns against you. Lesson number three, it doesn't matter how many people are standing against you if God is on your side. Verse 19 reads, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. 850 prophets stood with Ahab, and Elijah stood alone. So Adam, what if your Texas Rangers spotted their opponent 100 runs to start the game? We'd probably lose. <laughs> well, <laughs> with God on their side, they'd be able to say, no problem. We've, we've got them right where we want them. And that's the idea that you and God beat all odds. Hmm. You know, I'd have to say that the Texas Rangers would probably lose if we were spotted 100 runs to start the game. <laughs> well, maybe not this year. We're doing pretty well, but you know. <laughs> yeah, they are. For sure. Oh, those pesky Rangers still uh, yes. keeping my Astros in second place. All right, number lesson number four before I get on a sad tangent here. <laughs> uh, lesson four, you have two very clear choices in every decision. God's way and every other way. But there's really only one sensible choice. Verse 21 says, And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people answered him not a word. A free new car or a free clunker? Steak? or Vienna sausages, heaven or hell, God's way or any other way, why do we even hesitate? Lesson number five, God doesn't need us to use tricks or pressure tactics to convince others of his power. He's perfectly capable of proving himself. Verse 23 Therefore, let them give us two bulls, we read, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull, says Elijah, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. So Elijah makes it clear there are no tricks up his sleeve. He even permits the prophets of Baal to supply both bulls and to pick the one that they want to use first. No one would be able, therefore, to argue foul. We don't have to arm twist others to believe. Just point people to the power 
of God to the Lord himself. Lesson number six, there is no place for half-hearted devotion. Verse 24 says that then you call on the name of your gods and I'll call the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. You know, it's pointless to live for God on Sunday and then for yourself the rest of the week. Either he's God and deserves our complete devotion or he's not and we're wasting our time. There's no place for half-hearted devotion. Lesson seven, God never takes his mind off of you. Verse 27 says, And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating or he's busy or he is on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. Baal's not answering. But you are always on God's mind. He's never preoccupied. He never sleeps. He's always ready to hear from you. He thinks about you. Lesson number eight, if you have to yell to get God's attention, then you're yelling at the wrong God. Verse 28 reads, So the prophets of Baal cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. You don't have to shed your own blood to worship the Lord. He has already shed his blood for you. And then two more. Lesson number nine. If God uses you in his service, just don't get the big head. Verse 36 says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. God is looking for servants, not stars. So we must always remember to be humble and not grow haughty. And then finally, lesson number 10 Praise God for his greatness. Verse 39 reads, Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You know, if your doctor performed a successful surgery, you'd thank him. If your mechanic even fixed your car, you'd thank him too. When God does something great, praise him. I hope we never grow complacent to the power of God and in particular to the things he does in your life and in mine. Those are 10 wonderful lessons from Elijah. Thank you for those, Daniel. You're welcome. Now, Elijah was the prophet par excellence. He is considered the very representative of what it is to be a prophet of God, a powerful figure of scripture full of powerful moments. And one of the greatest lessons that I have learned from the life of Elijah is seen in the next chapter after the showdown on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 19. Now, of course, this comes after his most famous dramatic event that we have recorded in his ministry. And upon defeating the prophets of Baal with fire from heaven, the Samaritan queen Jezebel threatened Elijah's life. Now, that might seem like a small thing in comparison to what he just went through, 
on Mount Carmel, but the Lord's prophet was really shaken by it. And no matter how encouraged we may be, that the dangers of real life do have a way of getting to us. First Kings 19, 1 through 3 reports this. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Elijah was so distraught that he was ready to roll over and die. God sent an angel to strengthen him, and Elijah made his way to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, and stayed there for 40 days. God encountered him there, and Elijah complained that everyone has abandoned the Lord except for Elijah himself, and this caused a great depression. Now, what happened next is amazing. God sent a strong wind, an earthquake, and a fire against the mountain. But he was not to be heard in any of those grand occurrences, like he was basically heard at the the great showdown at Mount Carmel. But God's voice came in a low whisper, or in the Hebrew text, a sound of silence. We tend to expect to encounter God in some fashion in the great profound moments of life. But God captured Elijah's attention in the mundane. And in the midst of the prophet's low point in life, God just simply tells him what he was supposed to do next. Verses 15 to 16 say, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. I've learned much from this event. <laughs> you know, Elijah's in the depth of his depression, and, and, and God, it's interesting what he doesn't do. He doesn't coddle him, and we don't see what we may expect to be words of encouragement. God just tells him what he's going to do next. Now, how often do we want to sit and stew about something I mean, even when we really are victimized or facing legitimate concerns, when at the end of the day, we just need to keep moving forward and trusting the Lord. And I do not mean move on or just deal with it, but move forward, even with the pain, hurt, and sorrow that life brings our way. What Elijah needed was to simply move forward and carry out God's will. You know, I think of David after he lost his child with Bathsheba. Remember in 2 Samuel 12, David was so distraught in fear that his child would die. You know, David wouldn't even eat and all of his handlers were worried that he would take his own life. And when the baby did die, David moved forward, realizing that the past happened and was in the past. The moving forward does not erase any pain or consequences, but it does carry us through each day when we are properly trusting the Lord. And trust is what Elijah needed. God revealed that through Elijah's next actions of anointing these men, the the current problem that he faced would eventually be solved. That was the influence of Baal worship in Israel, a problem that was bigger than Elijah himself. 
And by the way, there were also 7,000 faithful still in the land. Elijah was not truly alone, no matter how much he felt that way. So what I encourage you through this event in Elijah's life is to embrace God's will in the still, small voice. The regular, even mundane times in life. Do not look for the dramatic big stage things of this world. Be faithful in the little things. Also, embrace the concept of moving forward like Elijah and David. Yes, with all the pain and hurt that life brings. We live in a fallen world, and we will experience hardship often. I don't say to bury your head in the sand and ignore your problems, but to trust in the Lord as only He can carry you through. And I would add to all this, you are never alone. There are others who understand and care. Seek those people out and be open to their ministry in your life. Be vulnerable to them. Even more so, you know, dear listener, that the Lord himself is always with you, even to the end of the age. Amen. Thank you, Adam. It's, uh, it's time to return to our trivia question for today, and we're talking about Israeli money, specifically their paper currency. So I'm going to give you four statements about their money, and you tell me which ones are true and which are false. And as I said earlier, if you get three correct answers out of the four, I'm going to call you a winner, okay? All right. All right. All right. Number one, Adam, Israeli paper currency doesn't have any green bills like ours, but only blue, orange, and red bills. Is that true or false? No, I'm colorblind. Oh. And even though I, I basically have a photographic memory, I, I can see these bills like I didn't think it'd be polka dot pink for all I know, and I wouldn't. But, but I'm going to say true. Well, that's actually false. <sighs> they they had the blue, orange, and red bills, but they do also have a green bill. Oh, they do have green. Okay. Yes, yeah, so that was tricky. So, okay, strike one. <laughs> Half a point. I told you it's going to be hard, didn't I? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like the hard ones. Okay. Number two, uh, their bills feature great Israeli poets, not statesmen like our currency. That's a good one. I, I, I'm thinking that the coins have statesmen. I'm just going to say... False. I think they might have statesmen on them. Oh, uh, I'll strike two. Their oh, their bills man. feature poets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two two male poets and two female poets. They were going to do some statesmen, but I think they got some pushback and decided just to go with the poets because who could be upset with poets, right? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. So okay. All right. Let's see if we can salvage right. a couple here. I told I knew it was going to be hard. All right. Number three. The women that appear on their bills wear head coverings out of sensitivity for Israel's Muslim and ultra-Orthodox citizens. True or false? I'm going to say false. That is false. All right. Um, so, yes, the, the ultra-Orthodox are using money every day that uh, have the heads of the women uncovered. I suppose I'll just have to not look. <laughs> All right. And the number four, each bill has English, Hebrew, and Arabic writing on it. True or false? I'm going to say true. That's true too. Okay. Right. So you, you, you came on strong there. You pushed hard to the finish line. Oh, uh, one bonus question for you. You remembered the 50 and the 100, but who's on our U S $2 bill? Uh, Thomas Jefferson. That's right. 
So do uh, I get a third point then? I guess I have to give it to you, don't I? All right. All right. There you go. You're a winner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Super job, my friend. Well, uh, to all of you who are listening today, wherever you are at, Adam and I hope that you're enjoying our podcast, but don't forget that we publish posts to Facebook virtually every day. You can find us on Facebook at Shalom Y'all Ministries. And for those of you who don't do Facebook, you can sign up for our weekly post, which compiles all the previous week's Facebook posts and any special articles. And it comes out in an email format every Saturday at 1 p.m. CST. So if you'll send your name and email address to our email address at Shalom Y'all Ministries, no spaces, no apostrophes, just Shalom Y'all Ministries at gmail.com, we'll make sure you receive the post starting this week. Adam? Well, we hope that you enjoyed this discussion about the prophet Elijah. Now, we won't find ourselves in as big a moment or role that Elijah had, but we can be faithful like he was. We serve the same God as Elijah did. And let's remember these lessons from the great prophet as we seek to live for the Lord in our own day. Shalom, y'all. Shalom, y'all.